0: When you want something, when you're passionate about something, there's two things. First, you gotta learn about it. You gotta learn about it. And then the second thing, you gotta take excuses out of the equation. You have to take the excuses out of the equation. I did not, there was nothing that was was gonna stop me from playing football. You're listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes, where you'll hear real stories of the journey to modern manhood, told by the men who lived them. Raw, real, and 100% unapologetic. And now, here is your host, Eric Rogel.
1: And that was my guest today, former NFL standout defensive back Alex Molden. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Eric Rogel, and this is Warriors, lovers, kings, and heroes. And what you just heard, that was Alex talking about how he got started playing football, even though his father didn't want him to play. And even though he knew nothing about the game itself, he just knew that he wanted to play. And he was actually older than most kids are when they start. So he got in late. But it was that drive, that drive for him to want to play that badly that got him into the game, into a top college, and led him to going 11th overall in the 1996 draft to the New Orleans Saints. And and during Alex's eight years in the league, he actually played for seven different head coaches in those eight years. What it did was it taught him a ton about how to deal with change, how to deal with different cultures and philosophies, and he was also exposed to a lot of mentors. And he picked up some great lessons that he's going to share with you today because now that he's retired from football what Alex does is he works with current and former players and elite athletes really not just football players but elite elite athletes from many different sports he works with them on navigating the pitfalls of what happens once you leave your sport right the pitfalls of having your personal identity entwined with your playing ability. In other words, just being known as a football player or an Olympic gymnast and what happens once you leave that. So he helps them to transition to their lives off the field. And he also has a fantastic podcast on leadership that's called The Shark Effect. And it's a podcast that I was honored to have been a guest on. But this is a result of Alex's like relentless drive for knowledge to always get to the fundamentals of whatever it is that he wants to know. So I highly recommend that you head over there and listen to the shark effect. Listen to Alex, talk to some of these guys. There's always something great to learn over there, and he's always got top-level guests, so definitely do that. Now, I want to get to Alex's story. I started by asking him what it was like growing up with a father who was a drill instructor. So, Alex, when we first talked, you told me about your dad. Now, your dad was in the military, correct? Correct. Yeah. And and um, tell me a little bit about how you kind of got brought up with him because we've talked about how you knew he loved you, but it was kind of a different type of love or upbringing or how he showed it. So yeah. give me a little bit on, on how it was growing up with your dad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it was my dad and I have a twin brother and my mom. And my dad, he was in the military, um, I think when he was 18, 19 years old. But anyway, when you know he was a drill sergeant and ah, so i yeah. knew i knew like what discipline looked and what it felt like um but for the most part i was scared to death of my dad you know we didn't have a a really lovey, you know relationship it was more like he comes home he was the disciplinarian and he told us what to do and that was it and that was pretty much our relationship and yeah. you know it, it wasn't um, I mean, I knew he loved us, but that, it wasn't no hugs. It wasn't no, son, I love you. Son, I'm proud of you. It wasn't anything like that. And, so um, it was a
1: different way he showed his love for you. Yeah. Right? So yeah. how did you know that he, like you said, I knew he loved me, but how did you know that? Because um, so many men, you know, go through this, you know, they don't, they don't feel the love from their fathers. You know, even even fathers that do say I love you and hug you, there's maybe sometimes there's no feeling behind that. You know, it's empty. Mm-hmm. But in your case it was never said but you felt that love from your father so what what was it that you knew he loved you
0: well it was I would say like looking at it now as a as a father and I'm older like if he didn't have that type of discipline discipline for me mm-hmm. just let me run amok let me I mean, cause I was, I was stealing. I was hanging with the, you know, the wrong cats. I was doing all this type of stuff. And if he would have, and really this started like after my, my mom and dad got divorced, Mm -hmm. but that discipline was love. If that makes sense, that discipline was love. Like he was, it wasn't abuse, Mm -hmm. but the way that he, you know, the discipline that we had, now i'm i'm so happy that i had that discipline because that shaped who i am you right. know good good bad or indifferent that shaped who i am so um you know i i, I just knew that he he might have didn't say it but how he shaped us how he molded us that was a form of love and i understood like with that with his age and his, his father, his father, you know, died when he was 13. Mm. So he didn't really, he was the man in the house, you know, actually, I'm sorry, but I think it was 11. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was just that era There wasn't a whole bunch of, of love and infection,
1: you know? Right. But it was the structure that he gave you, the discipline that he gave you, the, caring of how you turned out as a man is what I'm feeling on that is really was his form of love. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you're father of eight, right? <laughs> <We talked laughs> yes, about that eight, which is God bless yeah. you, Alex, man, father of eight. And so how are you doing it now with your kids? You know, having had that father done that way, I mean, do you do the same with your kids? Is it more of a balance with you? And, well, you know, how's it going in the Molden household?
0: Yeah. So for me, it, it was like, I didn't have that. I didn't want to be like, okay, everything my dad did, I'm gonna do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do like what he did. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be that dad. No, what I did was look at it and okay, so he did it this way. What would it look like if I did it, if I turned it on his head? Mm-hmm. So he never really told us he loved this. So what if I flipped it on his head and say, every time, every chance I get with my kids, I'm going to tell them I love them. whether And, and so I started to do that. Mm-hmm. And I want to, you know, because me, I'm a creature of habit, of habit. And football was something I did since I was 13 until I was 31. I know habits. So practice is huge. So what I would do is I would practice telling them I love them. Anytime they left the house, anytime I I hang up the phone with them, anytime they leave my presence, I tell them I love them. Whether they're the youngest, the seven-year-old or the (laughs) 24-year-old, I tell them I love them. And I make sure that when they do things, um, whether it's sports or if it's in, in school, I don't praise that they score touchdowns or they made the game winning shot, or they got an A plus on a test. I praise the effort. Mm. I, I, I don't look at the scoreboard. All mm-hmm.
1: right,
0: I don't look at the scoreboard. I look at man, the effort. And then I praise that and we can build from that because if you do all that, if you do all the stuff that you're supposed to do and then the effort is with it, the scoreboard will take care
1: of itself. Right, beautiful. Yeah, I love that. So it's about the character building More than praising the individual um, results, right? continually building that. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And so for you, yeah, we, we get into that. You know, you started playing football, like you said, 13. And you told me that you didn't know anything about football when you first got started in it. And you actually had to go like research what the game of football was about. So tell me about that a little bit, because that's also kind of molded who you are as a man is is this you know going into the unknown like you're going into and then I'm going to learn about it and then I'm going to you know I'm going to own this game I'm going to be the best at it so tell me about that a little bit
0: yeah absolutely man well so love love sports you know growing up I'm an army brat moved all over the place you know I've lived in Germany Oklahoma um and then finally settled in Colorado Springs but when I was younger, man, we guys would be playing football and I didn't know anything about it. Um, I would just watch them and I listen to them, right? And so they would say, like, hey, I'm Lynn Swan or I'm Tony Dorsett or I'm, you know, this, you know, Lawrence Taylor. And I was like, who are these people? You know, <laughs> who in the <laughs> yeah. world are these people? Yeah. I don't know, no, Lynn Swan. That sounds like a cool name, but I don't know who that is. Cause we didn't watch, we didn't watch football. I didn't grow up, you know, watching college football watching uh, high, uh, uh, pro football. So I would just listen to these guys and I said, okay, me. I guess I should start turning on the TV and watching a little bit. And I started to learn a little bit about the names but that wasn't enough, man. I want to, you know, when we played not organized just like out Sandlot, right? And, okay, okay, you're going to be the safety on this play. Are you going to be a linebacker? You're going to be the running back. I was like, what the hell is that? I had no <laughs> clue. <laughs> so, once again, I was like, when I want to know something, when I want to know something, Eric, man, I research it. And yeah. so, for us, this was in the early 80s, man. There wasn't no internet. But, but just like us, and probably you, and a lot of other- yeah. 40 plus year olds, <laughs> we had something in our house that we can instantly look and get information from. And it was the encyclopedia.
1: Oh yeah. We had, thank, we had a whole set Lord. in my house. We had the whole thing like all across <laughs> right? the bookshelf. That's yep. yeah,
0: right. That's right. That was it. So, so I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. So let me, let me look in the F book, right. Pulling it out. And hopefully I was flipping through Hopefully football is in there and sure enough, football. And so it broke down all the positions and what the responsibilities were. And then it also broke down the different um, like defensive schemes. Like you run a three, four or four, three, um, uh, you know, on offense, this is a spread formation. This is an eye formation. So I learned from an encyclopedia
1: hmm.
0: and then I would go out and I would go, you know, hang with the fellas. And then I start to kind of fit in a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I didn't play organized football until my eighth grade year. So I was doing all that fifth grade and, fourth grade and playing in the, in the street and, and doing all that t- stuff. And finally I got a chance um, to play tackle football, which my dad did not believe in. He, he thought that was the stupidest thing. Only thing good that can happen <laughs> was me getting, actually it wasn't even good. The only thing that can happen was me getting hurt. Right. And so I finally begged my mom and, you know, we, I mean, we didn't have any money growing up really. So, it was, uh, I, I joined the Boys and Girls Club and they, or I'm sorry, back then it was just the Boys Club and he had a football program and you just had to pay, uh, I think it was $2 and you was part of the program. You get the pads, you get all that type of stuff. None of it fit, <laughs> all of it was like 15 yeah. years old. Yeah. And, um, and I started playing. I didn't even, I couldn't even afford cleats. did my dad didn't, even, didn't give me uh, give me cleats. I had to borrow a pair of cleats from his, his army friend. And they were like three sizes too big. I had to wear like five pairs of socks just to fit into them. I had to roll the, roll the sock, you know, had to ball it up. So I actually fit, but you were committed, man. You wanted
1: to play football bad. If you're wearing 15 year old equipment and the big, you know, the shoes out there that are outsized and all that other kind of stuff. So what, what would you take away from that? What was like the lesson you learned in, in, you know, uh, actually wanting it that bad that you went and did it that way.
0: Absolutely. When you want something, when you're passionate about something, there's two things. First, you got to learn about it. You got to learn about it. And then the second thing, you got to take excuses out of the equation. You have to take the excuses out of the equation. I did not, there was nothing that was, was going to stop me from playing football. And even then, like my, my football IQ was very low. It was very low when I first started. But I gradually kept asking questions, asking questions, learning more about uh, the game. And, and then I finally, you know, by my eighth grade, oh, I'm sorry, my, my freshman year, I, I, I started to, to watch it. But then something changed my life. What was that it changed my about? life. It was the show, or I get the VCR tape, Crunch course. Okay. And so Crunch, Crunch Course was something that when you order on uh, Sports Illustrated a year, a yearly um, subscription, you got this movie. It was a 47-minute movie called Crunch Course and it showed all the all the toughest dudes in the NFL. It was uh, from the past and the present. Um, so Walter Payton, Larry Zonka, uh, Lawrence Taylor, um, Dick Buckus, they showed all these guys. So now, and they were all mic'd up. And they also had the different coaches talking about the physicality of the game and they would go in deep detail and then at the end of it they had Lawrence Taylor mic'd up and it was in a game wasn't no no music nothing like that just had him mic'd up and how he was talking Mm. he was talking to himself talking to his teammates and then talking to his opponents and that God, what kind like, of stuff
1: was he saying? Because this is this is great was, stuff, Alex. I mean, this oh is like goodness. role model stuff, right? These guys became your role models at that point, right?
0: I, mean, I watched that tape till it damn near popped,
1: and, it, and <laughs> I didn't even get the <laughs> subscription.
0: It was my homeboy, <laughs> my homeboy. Then <laughs> he took his tape, yeah. I, I, I went over there every day to watch that thing on thing, but but um, you would hear, you know, first of all, you see them work. So, mm-hmm. Walter Payton, you saw him work in the off season and how he prepared his body and how he would bounce up from getting like destroyed. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, he was delivering the impact. And um, and then with Lawrence Taylor, he was talking to his teammates like, come on, we um, we better than this. We're better than this. We should be kicking his team's butt. And then also showed him like getting into it with his opponent. You know, it was kind of like a cheap shot and he told him what he was going to do to him next time the next time he was on the field and then he damn sure did that and it was just like the intimidation factor of the physicality and and the the sound like you know when I was tackling in eighth grade I was just tackle Mm -hmm. man the NFL man they tackling like, you know making all type of noise and sounds I was like oh you can do that So I just, uh, you know, I end up finding out that it's called the mirroring effect or or the windshield effect. When you look at something over and over and over again, then you start to, you know, that starts to become you. You start to emulate that. Right. But that's
1: what I did. Yeah, that's beautiful. So these guys really did kind of guide your career. What I love about Alex is, you know, you had that courage, to be honest. With yourself and know that you didn't know enough about this and to ask the questions. So, so many of us don't, you know, we, there, there's that kind of, um, you know, I don't want to say intimidation, but you know, that bravado of, oh yeah, I know, I know. I, I don't have to ask any questions. I'm here. I don't want to look stupid. But in, in your case, it really served you well because you were constantly asking questions, constantly seeking out more, constantly looking for these guys' advice. And, um, and even if it's just like in the basic fundamentals, because you're a fundamentals guy,
0: yeah. At the core. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you something. I, I wish I would have did that in the classroom. Mm. In the classroom, I would just kind of took the information. I didn't dive in deeper like I did with football. And um, one aspect that I, that I learned in high school early on because I would go to these different camps, right. I was begging my mom to take me to the Colorado university of Col- or Colorado university football camp and these other camps. So I can learn, I can speed up my IQ. Well, what I would do, because most time, right? When you're in these camps or whatnot, you would break off and then you go do drills. Well, all the, the bad asses, all the, the, uh, the alpha cats, they would get in. they would jump in the line. They would be first, first to do the drill. Well, I knew what, I knew that I didn't know a whole bunch. So I would be like, okay, I don't know this drill. I don't feel comfortable getting, I'm gonna slide to the back. So I would get in the back of the line and then I wouldn't just be in the back of the line, you know, talking. I would be focused, locked in, listening to the coaches and their feedback. I would be watching the guys in front of me and what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong, still listening to the coach. So I got so many mental reps. By the time I got there, I was like, I know exactly what to do. I just gotta get the feel of it. And I knew the intensity, all right? Cause some guys be doing like half-ass and some would be going 75%. But I watched that and I I just learned from watching and listening, listening and, and watching others mistakes, but then also what they did correct. So by the time I got there, man, I was perfect. And I took that, I took that, that was a tool that I would take
1: later on. Yeah. And it seems like it served you well too. It was using these guys as an example, right. And just kind of absorbing everything that you could absorb. So, um, you know, it's funny, you just mentioned that you wish you had done that in school. And when we had talked about um, some of this, when we talked previously about, you know, you, before, and before we get into your NFL career and you're getting drafted, uh, first round 11th pick overall. Right. So really high draft pick, but you almost didn't make it because you almost got thrown out of college. Right. So what yeah. happened there? What were you doing that, you know, you had this much raw talent and, and this much drive for knowledge, right. As we're talking about, but then, you know, getting tossed from college could almost derail that entire career.
0: Yeah. I got, as I like to say, I got out of alignment Okay, I lost my discipline my first my first semester, and you know it was my first time having freedom. You know I was uh, in Colorado, but I went to University of Oregon, so I was away from my family, so I'm by myself. And you know I I knew I had to redshirt. And for you know all the listeners out there who don't understand what redshirting is, is basically you get an extra year of um, of academics, so you can use five years to be able to graduate. So I redshirted, uh, knowing I would kind of be on the scout team. I wouldn't. I wouldn't play that first year, um, and so with that, I wasn't as. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to play, so I kind of like went through the motions on the field. But then that kind of it kind of like trickled into my my classroom work, and so after that first term, I ended up having like a one point seven five. And I was on academic probation and I was told if I if I continue down this this path, if I get this grade again next semester, my my Fulbright scholarship will be taken away. Oh, yeah. You wow. talking about I would have to go back home and tell my mama <laughs> that I got kicked out of college. Are you kidding me? Yeah, man, I was like, you know, those racehorses with those blinders. That, yeah, oh yeah, that was, that was me. That was me. So that was my ex- experience of uh, of uh, almost getting kicked out of college.
1: So what'd you learn from that? I mean, I know you know, first thing you learned was don't piss off mama, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, what, but what else did you take from that? I mean, I'm looking at it as like it's obvious that you can get distracted and sideline, like when the pressure's off. That discipline you got from your dad once that was gone and you had to bring it from in here from yourself, it was easier to lax, right? Easier to be lax. And then you saw the result of that. So tell me a little more.
0: Yeah. So, you know, having, having gone through that and seeing it from different angles, it was, I let my foot off the gas pedal. Right. And I need to, that was my first inkling, inkling that I need to be more than a football player. I need to be more than that. Um, I need to be more than that platform. Because I I put, you know, I was all my eggs was, you know, for me it was like, okay, be a best football player. Yeah, I'm gonna do this, and I wasn't even thinking about the NFL at that time. It was just like, man, I'm gonna, I want to get on the field. I need to get on the field, but I can't do it because I'm red shirted. I'm kind of just like a scout team. So it taught me. Also looked at it, man. I wasn't being a a great teammate that year.
1: Yeah. You know, I wasn't being- So you were letting down everybody around, the men around you, yeah. you were letting them down too. Yeah. 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 And, it, and, and uh, what, were the, what, what were the repercussions of that? Did it, did, it, did it harm some of these relationships with the guys on the team? Did they see you differently?
0: No, it, 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 for me, it wasn't, um, not until that next year when I had, I guess, more skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And I started to see some of the older guys who were actually playing that they 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 was treating it like I was as a little 18 year old red shirt freshman but now they're playing so I was like hold on and then we and then we weren't winning yeah in the culture at the time Oregon was like the, the bottom of the pack 10 mm-hmm. so I was like okay so I came in here with my attitude And because I wasn't playing, I let off the gas. Now I am playing and now I need to step it up, but not too many other cats are stepping up. So I don't want to be like this. I want to go out as a winner,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but I didn't, but I didn't have the character from the first year. So I started to change my character and be like, okay, I need to, and, and character I learned is who you are. So I need to change who I was. And if I can change Then anybody can change. And so, I I mean, I ended up starting as a registered freshman but we weren't very good. But the more work I put in and when, when nobody was watching, I wasn't worried about people watching me. I was worried about man doing the work and I knew what that looked like in the off season and then during the season where more and more cats started to buy in. We started, especially with my class, we started to change the culture by our character and the work ethic mm-hmm. and the accountability and the ability to have those tough conversations. Like, hey man, look, I'm busting my butt and I give you permission to get on me if I'm not doing my job, if I'm going half-assed, I give you permission. And then, well, they gave me permission to get on them. So then it became this, this. um
1: uh, sounds like a, like an loop. accountability loop, right? Yeah, because they're holding each other accountable, right? It be, yeah, it yeah.
0: became a loop. Yeah, and then with that, and then and then here's the other thing that that kind of um, made us all better is we started to treat practices like games. Hmm. If we started to treat practices like games, then that that whole um, you know what you hear? Oh man, he's a gamer. Oh, man, when the, when the lights are on, he just, man, he, he does great. He's, he's a gamer. No, that's not, that's not, I don't believe in that. Right. All right. You should be who you are. If it's on Monday and it's a practice, it should be the
1: same thing on Saturday. Yeah, that's the integrity, right? When you're talking about character, exactly. that goes to integrity. You are that guy all the time. No you're matter in,
0: what environment.
1: Right. You're tapping into that warrior, whether it's practice or a game, you got to have that intensity. You got to tap into that warrior. You got to keep it moving forward because there is no practice, right? It's all game, right? It's all on all the time. The lights are always on. Somebody,
0: I believe this. We were told the eye in the sky don't lie. Mm -hmm. That means every practice, every game, every walkthrough, there was somebody filming us. It was our teams filming us so then the coaches can look at it and make corrections. All right. I believe in life, the eye in the sky, it don't lie. There's always somebody watching you, whether you know it or, or you're aware of it or you're not. There's somebody always watching.
1: Beautiful, man. I love that. And so it was, it was it's a it's a great lesson in leadership, man. When you said you saw the culture that was there. And again, that's, you know, you got to tap into the warrior. You got to look at the courage to be honest and go, hey, these guys, yeah, they're, they're above me. They're, you know, upperclassmen. They've been playing on the team for a while, but I'm not really loving how their attitude is, right? They're not in integrity. Mm. I'm going to do me. I'm going to be me. I'm going to take the lead and move this forward. And it seems like in doing that, being that leader, being, you know, in integrity, having that character brought up other guys on the team with you to buy in, right? And then you get more and more and then the whole team bought in and then um, you guys had the success that you were looking for.
0: Absolutely. We was able to do something something special that I'm super proud of at the University of Oregon. Uh, my junior year, we won the Pac-10 and we went to the Rose Bowl. That was the first time in 37 years.
1: Wow, man. See, that's just, that's just proof right there. And right? we started
0: we- one and two.
1: <laughs> we started with
0: one win and we lost two we were one and two they were calling the media the the fans they were calling for the head coach's job they wanted him to be fired we flipped the script we had a meeting just players only and we talked about that and we flipped the script and we won the pac 10 we we won the next seven out of eight games wow incredible man, that's fantastic
1: and that, yeah. that was just getting everybody to buy in and you know, and be everybody played a role. Everybody. I don't care if you
0: was fifth string, if you was a water boy, if you was uh if you was on a kickoff team and that was your only job, it was super important.
1: Yeah, one mind, one goal, one vision. Just get everybody to tap in. Yep. Get that warrior going and move it forward. Yeah. You know, if you want to, you know, go with the the lover too, was the passion, it was that desire, it was what you guys wanted to achieve in order for you to get there, right? Result, yep. you guys you know, win the pack ten and your kings. And that's, that's right. really, you know, that's, that's what really uh, drives us. So now, now you get drafted, right? So now you take it next step, next level. And this is really, really want to get into some of this too, because I love this story. I mean, you know, you, you like I said earlier, you went first round pick 11th overall. Um, and then you end up playing for eight seasons but you said you played for seven head coaches in eight seasons. That's (laughs) That's (laughs) that's a lot of head coaches, Alex. So tell me about that a little bit and who these guys were, what you took away from each of them, what you were able to learn, because you had some really good stuff on the lessons. These men were able to teach you.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, my first year we had Jim Mora. All right. Jim Mora, longtime coach of the saints. Well, he ends up quitting like after the fourth game, third or fourth game.
1: yeah.
0: And so then we had an interim coach who was, um, he's actually, he was our, our linebacker coach, Rick Venturi. Mm-hmm. And so, so I had two coaches, two head coaches that year. And then the next year we get Mike Dicka, Iron Mike.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: And we get him, had him for three years uh-huh. and, you know, with him, uh, you know with Moore, I didn't really know a whole bunch of him because he was just there for like three or four games mm-hmm. um and then and then we had coach Dicka, and Dicka was um, you know he was he was a tough coach like those yeah. practices the training camps man they were they were tough um, so uh, learn something from him from, from Dicka it was more you know there's positional leadership right when you're in a position of leadership he's the head coach okay i'm he's the head coach he's he's in that position i'm going to do what i'm told okay i'm going to do that but i learned something else that when you have relationship when you have those relationships that goes a little bit deeper dicka didn't really have a relationship with his team okay with i had mike riley um with the San Diego Chargers. He made sure to have a relationship with everybody. Didn't win. Didn't win a whole bunch. But in, then my, my second year or my seventh year with the the Chargers, we had Marty Schottenheimer. Oh yeah. Now Marty yeah. was a stickler. Mm-hmm. He was a stickler when it came to um practice. Like practice was game. It was a game scenario. Every time it was game situations, you had to have that mindset.
1: Which was familiar and, to you from Oregon, that's right? right? Because you guys had that's that right. in Oregon, so this is a familiar thing to you. Yep.
0: And when, when practice is supposed to be done at 3.30, at practice is done at 3.30. It ain't done at 3.31. It's not done at 3.29. At it's done at 3.30. He was a stickler. Um, so yeah, I, I, I learned a lot, but with that, even with all the defenses, cause with every head coach, we had a new defense, a no defensive scheme, new terminology every year in the NFL, you're going to have new teammates. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's going to be, so everything's going to be new. So I had to train myself to adapt and I really broke things down into, into three things. And I learned this from, from a great coach. His name was Willie Shaw. He said, alignment, assignment, adjustment. Now I learned this my second year in the NFL. And when Willie came in, he was a you know veteran. He's coached in NFL for many years. He had a lot of success wherever he went. And he told me, he said, Alex, these three things, they're going to help you. You're going to have a long career. You're going to play way past when you're ability starts to go down. When you're, yeah, you're a 4'3 guy right now. You can run fast, you can jump high. There's gonna be a time where you're not gonna be that fast and you're gonna have to lean on some other tools. Mm -hmm. Those tools are alignment, making sure you align up correctly. Every time, every time, you can't be an inch off. You need to know your assignment. You know your assignment and then when you're next level, You need to learn the assignments of others that are playing with you. You start to learn your job and in their job, now you can hold them accountable and they can hold you accountable. And then the last thing is adjustments. Very rarely in in football do a team just lines up, hikes the ball, and then they do their thing. They're going to adjust. They're going to shift. They're going to motion. They're going to do something to try to get an advantage on you. And, and then I also learned it's like, you know, you, got, you need to make adjustments during the game. There's going to be adjustments that's going to happen. Halftime adjustments. Every time you come off the field, there's some type of adjustment. You need to be thinking ahead and you need to be ready. So those three things gave me a ton of success on the field. And then, you know, as we, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about later on yeah success off the field
1: how, how that translates because I can see that I mean as you're even saying it, I'm feeling into um, you know where that kind of goes in life and, and and we'll dive into that in a second. So I mean, you know what what I love about that Alex is it's about um, I want to say preparation, but it's preparation and adaptability, right not being so rigidly structured that it has to happen this way, right you've got, Your assignment and your alignment, but the adjustment is you can do what, you know, you can, you're so good at the first two that the, that you can do whatever, no matter what's thrown at you. Is that really what you were experiencing when you were, when you were playing with this in mind?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, you said it, I mean, you hit it when you said preparation. So being prepared for not just the good stuff, not when everything is going perfect, that's, that's, that's easy, but are you prepared when things don't go your way? Are you prepared for adversity? There's gonna be some times where you're gonna be facing somebody who's just more talented than you, all right? I had to face, I faced Jerry Rice more times than than any other receiver because every division, like I was with the Saints, he was with the Niners. So we was in the same division. I faced him twice a year. And then when I go to the Chargers, guess what? Jerry goes to the Raiders. So once again, I'm facing him um, again, twice a year.
1: Yeah. And for those you know, that, that may not be football fans, Jerry Rice is, you know, Hall of Fame, He's- best of the best, one of the greatest receivers of all time. And one of the, and one of the, if you watch any of his stuff, one of the hardest working guys, not only during the season, but in the, his off season regimen is legendary, right? So what's mm-hmm. it like going up against Jerry? facing him and knowing you got to face him twice a year
0: yeah facing him so so it's one thing you need to know your weaknesses and your strengths hmm. you need to know what jerry's weaknesses and his strengths he didn't really ha- have any weaknesses all right the the only thing that he might have lacked or he didn't like mm-hmm. he didn't like db's up in his face with bump and run all right my first time facing him I was like, I want to shake his hand and be like, oh, Jerry, (laughs) I'm going to try to cover you today. Please take it easy on me. (laughs) Right. Right? Putting
1: him up on that pedestal and just, you know, yeah. Yeah. And then so psychologically, he's got the advantage over you right away.
0: Right. And I'm sure he probably knew that. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't try to show it, but you're exactly right. I put him on a pedestal. I put him on a platform that was higher than mine. And I had a terrible day against him. And the next time I faced him, I was like, okay, here's what I gotta do. I gotta take the number 80 off of him. I can't see that number. So I stripped the number off of him and he was just another receiver. He was another receiver that had very few flaws and he did everything just as perfect as possible, but he's just another receiver, okay? So now I was like okay now I got to play my game. I got to be physical with him. Anytime I can, I got to I got to take the fight to him. He doesn't want to fight. I want to fight. Okay, mm-hmm. so I need to I need to change up my 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 thinking. And I just got to just put hey, he's a football player.
1: Just another he's man. A, he's just another man out there. Another man. That's right. Yeah. 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 What what I love about that what you're saying too is, you know, like having to know your strengths and weaknesses, having to know his strengths and weaknesses, you know, there's a lot of courage in, involved in that in, in being honest enough to go, okay, here are my weaknesses. Here's where I need to, which is why I believe Jerry had so few, right? Because his off season was spent not only perfecting the things he was good at, but m- limiting the amount of weaknesses that he had because of that honesty. And then, you know, you're going up against him and you can't put him on a pedestal. I just have to look at this as just another player and I know his strengths and weaknesses. I know mine. I know him. I know me and I can take him. Yep.
0: And I need to know my assignment and the assignments of my teammates. Mm -hmm. I wasn't out there just by myself. Nah, I knew where my help was on every snap. I knew where my
1: help was. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's that teamwork thing, right? Standing yes, next, you know, beside that other man next to you and and uh, knowing him. And, you know, I, I just, you know, uh, last night watched the uh, the championship game. We talked about this before we uh, started mm-hmm. recording, you know, Ohio State and um, Alabama. It was a great game. And one of the things the Ohio State coach said before, and I'm going to paraphrase. I got to look it up because it was beautiful, but it was about it wasn't really so much about the win or loss. It was about doing what you can for the man who's standing behind, you know, next to you. Mm. right beside you um, and and doing it for the man beside you. And it just, that sounds a little bit like what you just said about assignment, knowing their assignment, but also knowing they were there for you if you needed help. And they knew you were there for them if they needed help. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, um, so, you you know, you get all this great advice from these coaches and and you're experiencing all this stuff on the field and then your career cut short due to injuries right? You played mm-hmm. uh, eight years, you ended up with an injury, forced you to retire. And now you're no longer, you know, like you said, you've been playing since you're 13. Yeah. You're no longer, you know, a football player, you know, identify as a football player. And we've talked about this before you and I, about how so many athletes, you know, professional athletes, that's their identity. That's who they are, right? And, and it translates mm-hmm. not just to professional athletes, but but many of us who, what we do for a living defines who we are as a person. And I know, you know, especially for a lot of pro athletes, once their career is over, especially as a result of an injury, it can be devastating, you know, to the ego, to the identity, uh, and a lot of them in life. So to tell me a little bit about what happened when, when you got injured and knew that that was the end of the career for you.
0: Yeah, it was, um, something that happened my, um, it actually my, my seventh year mm. and I was able to, um, you know, I had an, at a knee. actually, I'm sorry, it was my sixth year. And so I had, a, I had two surgeries, one on my ankle, one on my knee. And and I just signed a, a, a lucrative, uh, free agent contract to play with the chargers. And so I ended up signing that, but after the third game i was I, I got injured and i came back and i got injured again and then my season was over mm. so then now i'm like coming to realization man you know i'm getting a little bit older you know what what's what's going on right so then my my seventh year um you know we're signing uh autographs right so it's draft day it's draft day we're in qualcomm stadium in san diego and you know, they bring up a couple of the players and, you know, put us on stages and the fans all over. You know, they got jumpy houses, got hot dogs, popcorn, all that type of stuff. We're signing autographs, shaking hands, getting them, you know, meet people in the community, big Charger fans and whatnot. And, you know, why they got the draft going on the big screen. And so the draft is going, I haven't watched the draft since 96. This was 2002. I was like, man, I, I got drafted. I don't need to watch no draft. And all of a sudden, the big screen on the big screen, and the San Diego Chargers with the fifth pick, select Quentin Jammer, <laughs> cornerback at <laughs> <our laughs> University of Texas. I was like, corner? I said, like, what? I'll play corner.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, our, and our other cornerback, he made it to the Pro Bowl, Ryan McNeil, he had a, he had a hell of a year. So they drafted this dude to take my job. Yeah, because I didn't even finish the year, mm-hmm. and so you're talking about like dejected. And man, it felt like everybody, once they said his name, it felt like everybody in this in the stadium looked, turned and looked at me like, You better call your realtor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yes, yeah, so, yeah.
0: So, so I get so I'm like,
1: And you you're know, not even at home doing this, like watching on TV, you're in no, the stadium with thousands of I'm people. There. Watching yes. your reaction to them drafting this kid. Yes.
0: And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to get cut. This is the end of my career. And um, so it, it didn't happen. And, and this was like in April. So, you know, I'm training, working out with the team and all this type of stuff. And the whole while I'm thinking I'm going to get a phone call from my agent or from the general manager. And, you know, make it to training camp. And I'm, uh, and I'm like, okay, training camp. They can cut me the first day. I've seen it happen. All right. Um, so I, you know, all my bags and stuff, my fan, my pillow and stuff. I come in, I check in the first day of training camp, and I get my key to my little dorm room, and I'm on my way to, you know, to my room. And and then John Butler, um, our, gen, our, our general manager at the time, say, hey Alex, once you get all settled in, come come to my office, come see me. I'm like, oh man, here it goes. Here he goes, Uh, yeah. and I I have no leverage. I didn't finish the previous year. Anyway, drop my stuff off, go to his office. He said, Alex, have a seat. Oh man, here we go. He said, Alex, we're gonna restructure your contract. I know you're supposed to make $2.1 million this year, but we're changing that. You're gonna make minimum. Minimum at the time was like about 500,000. Still no, you know, It's still some good money, right? Mm -hmm. It ain't 2.1 million though.
1: No, yeah, I was going to say, it's a quarter of what you're going to make, less than a quarter of what you're going to make. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But he said, Alex, here's what I'm going to do though, is for your play time, if you reach these certain numbers, you're going to get bonuses. If you play 75%, you'll get this amount of money, 85%, this amount of money. If you play 95% of your snaps, you'll get all your money back. Mm. I said, where do I sign? <laughs> yeah, they made it incentive laden for you, right? So yes. yeah. yeah. But because of that, and I had this this young shark and Quentin Jammer. And because of the tools that I had from that Willie Shaw gave me, alignment, assignment, and adjustment, I had the best year of my career.
1: Oh man, fantastic.
0: And and that was, you know, and that was. Um, in spite of the injuries and really the next year really started to, you know, that I knew that was going to be my last year just because of the wear and tear that I had on my knee. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of started the me thinking outside of football and who I, who I was going to be.
1: So you were somewhat prepared that this was going to be yes. the end. It wasn't like yeah. a shock like it is to some other, you know, some guys. So you kind of had to think, so what, what did you decide you were going to do when you, uh, when you got out, I mean, I know what you're doing now, you do the leadership training and you really work with people to get them into their leadership, which is fantastic. But did that come about right away? Or did you take, you know, a little time?
0: Man, I, I, I had no clue, Eric. I'm going to be perfectly honest, man. When I finished playing, I was just, I was, I was going to play football. I was going to work out. I've been working out since I was like 12. I'm just going to chill and um, I would walk the dogs and, you know, walk, you know, walk the kids and whatnot. And, you know, this lady on the, who lived on our block, she was the CEO of this nonprofit and she knew I played football and whatnot. She said, hey, Alex, would you be up for like coming over and being a consultant for us? And I was like, that sounds good. You know, you just come in 20 hours a week. I was like, well, I ain't doing nothing else. <laughs> so <laughs> I did that. I did that for about six months. And then we moved up here to Portland and uh, still wasn't doing nothing. I didn't know who, who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And I saw this, you know. I started looking, you know, for a career. I didn't want to start my own business. I didn't know anything about that, but um, ended up applying online for this job. I thought it was perfect for me. It was for this nonprofit, same thing, development, um, um, a development in the nonprofit sector, and I was a coordinator. And I was like, oh, I, I did all that. Oh, I'm, and I'm me. <laughs> and I'm in Oregon, I'm a Doug, come on, this is no brainer. Right. And so I end up, end up going to that interview and sat down, had my little resume and the lady, you know, started asking me questions about their organization. I knew some of it, um, not as much as I should have known, but then she started asking me questions about me. And I knew some of it, some of me, but not deeper. And it was really clear when she was asking me questions about myself and asking me why I wanted this job. Eric, I told her when she asked me why I wanted this job, I said, I needed to get out of the house. I need Mm. something to do. She said, Alex, let me give you some advice. Before you start, before you go on any more job interviews, you need to find out exactly who you are. She got up, shook my hand, she said, this is not the job for you. She walked me out, I went to my car, and I cried my eyes out. This lady who just met me for 15, 20 minutes told me I didn't know who I was. And she was correct. I've been cut before, right? I've been cut, I've been released. I got cut by the, by the redskins and it's embarrassing to get cut and then you got to go with security you got to go to your locker room they watch you bag up all your stuff you know put it in a plastic bag and then you and then they walk you out of the facilities that's embarrassing mm-hmm. i would much rather do that 20 times than ever feel like that again yeah and that was kind of started me on the journey of finding out my purpose and my passion and what I was meant to do
1: on this earth. Yeah, that was one of the greatest gifts she could have given you, huh? I mean, you know, that we talk about so often about how we don't want to hurt people's feelings and we want to, you know, kind of sugarcoat things and do it. But sometimes, you know, hitting you like that, bringing it with that warrior intention, but with that compassion on the other side, right? I mean, that's really what she did. She did. direct and firm, and but she was like doing it because you know that was out of love. Like Alex, you need to know who you are, and that's what's going to get you through the you know the rest of your life. And you felt that, and then move forward. So that I'm, was beautiful. And so it on. was
0: it was painful, and it it hurt like hell, Eric. But I'm so thankful that that happened to me. I'm so glad that she said those words to me.
1: Yeah. Um, I can feel that. And then, so you did, you went on like a little journey, right? To find out who you are, find out who, Passion, who purpose, that's what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Yep. I said, man, wh- wh- what do I want to do? Who, who, who am I? And so I was like, man, I need somebody. I want to be that person that that young Alex didn't have growing up. And so that young person who wants to be good at, in athletics and sports, I want to impact that person. I wanna impact them, make them the best athlete that they possibly can be. And so I started learning and, and started getting certified and whatnot and end up um, because of relationships, got a job at Nike World Headquarters here in Beaverton, Oregon, and did that for 13 years. But here's something else that I found is um, the adjustment part, right? Is I started learning that I can have more impact on helping people become better people. Not just athletes, but better people. Mm-hmm. Because I started to do more and more research on myself and understanding what exactly leadership is, which a lot of people get this confused, but when you break it down, right, just like the encyclopedia and, and, and me with football, I need to break things down to the base, the ground level. And leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. And when you can influence influence people, and we're all influenced by by different things.
1: By- well, you saw it when you were at Oregon, right? You just used the Absolutely. example. When you were at Oregon, it was that influence of, I'm going to be exemplary and be the example. And you were able to influence people to follow you rather than, and I'm going to bring Ditka up. But when you said he was positional leadership, I'm the head coach, therefore, versus I'm going to be influential and, and and motivate you to make the decision to follow me. That's what I'm getting from what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. but the relationships, right? Having Mm. that deep relationship Mm -hmm. instead of just me being here, like even at, at home, like I'm the dad, you do what you do. As I say, that don't fly. That don't fly. When you have a relationship with your kids, get to know them, know what they, what they like, what they dislike, how to guide them, how to shape them. Now, now we have a tighter relationship and they're more apt to do as I say, not just because I said it, because it's the best thing for you. So relationships, how you communicate your knowledge, your ability, your platform, um, your success, your failures. And here's the biggest thing, Eric, for me, it's character. Mm -hmm. Amen. And here's another, here's another big thing is intuition. How you make people feel. That is so big, that is so big. And why are you going to follow somebody, or why are they going to follow you?
1: Yeah, I love that man. That's beautiful. So, so now that's what you're doing, right? I mean, not just for athletes, not just for kids, but just people in general.
0: Yeah, people in general, man. It's uh, I, I know my what my purpose is. My purpose is to help people, and even deeper, I want to help them become better people. And if I can help them become better leaders, man, I'm helping out them, their community, their family. They're they're uh they're people your coworkers yeah so yeah, yeah. Man, that's As what I say you kings
1: and queens right that's how I say it you're uh, creating kings it. and queens and that, that's that. the hero man that's when you become the ultimate hero I love it yes, um and, and, and have you been working with you know the, these athletes who have left pro sports and and kind of help them guide them kind of the way you were guided after your career was over and, and like hey look at who you are know who you are first. Because you know, like I said, we know it can be devastating when these guys leave the game. So, tell me a little bit about some of those experiences.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so, uh, I so I coach, um, uh, like I said, individuals, but really, I have this, um, I have a uh, a course, it's called the Higher Achievers Academy. Um, and you can find out on alexmolden.com, but it's a course for not just pro athletes, but for elite level former elite level athletes. And this is, if you play college ball, I don't care, basketball, volleyball, swimming, whatever. If you've done that, man, that's the elite. And so I know, I I wanna work with those people because they know what it's like to have a platform. They know how to be coachable for the most part. And then they know how to do, um, they know how to put their all into something.
1: Right, they go all in. Right, they, they had go to, all sure. in. Yeah,
0: that that's what I do. I work with people who are ready and willing to go all in, to go all in, and to have a, a, a greater impact. If it's their business or if it's at home in their community, and and I simply, I just ask them questions, what they want to achieve, and then from there, we just backtrack. Mm-hmm. And like, so what's the character that it takes to get there? Okay. What are relationships that we need to make? What type of knowledge do we need to get to get to that, that ultimate goal?
1: Right. Because now they've got a new passion and purpose they have to achieve, right? Once the swimming is over, the volleyball is over, the football is over, the baseball is over. Now they've got to put all of that purpose and passion they've had their whole life into something new.
0: Yep. And it starts with finding out who they are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So as we wrap this up, Alex, and, and, and uh, you know, man, I just I love everything you've said so far and appreciate it. But if you could kind of leave us with one lesson, like one of the biggest lessons that you've learned through all of this in your life, the pro career transitioning into what you're doing now, you know, growing up with your dad, working with these coaches, um, you know, being on the field with men like like Jerry Rice. Um, what's the biggest thing you, you know, you've learned or you want to leave us with?
0: Biggest thing, like I said, is, is, uh, is leadership and, and like I said, leadership gets, you know, it's so broad, but when you can align with who you are and what you want to achieve, and then you're in your assignment, which is finding out what your purpose and your passion is. And then being ready to make those type of adjustments in your life. Those are the, those are the three biggest things. And that's what I that's what I speak on, and, and that's what I coach my, my um you know my clients on is those three things: alignment, assignment, and adjustment. If you can understand that, man, and, and be willing to look in the mirror and be okay with that, or you. That's where where it's at.
1: I really love what Alex says there to wrap us up. Alignment, assignment, adjustment. Breaking it down to what we really need to do in life. Just taking it to the fundamentals. No need to get complicated. No need to have books full of strategies. Just get aligned with who you are. Know your assignment and complete that assignment. And then be able to adjust when things don't go according to plan. I really love the simplicity of that. So again, head over to alexmoldenspeaks.com to learn more about Alex and his High Achievers Academy. And you can also get his podcast there right from that site, but it's the Shark Effect. So make sure to look up the Shark Effect and uh, go listen to a few of those episodes, man. You're going to really get some good information from that. So I want to thank Alex Molden for joining us today, for being real, for being honest, and for telling us the story of his journey. And I want to thank you for listening to Eric Rogel talks with warriors, lovers, kings, and heroes today. I'm Eric Rogel, and I'm honored to be with you, to be your brother by your side on your hero's journey. I'll talk to you next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis.